1: Bye, bye. Well, hello, and welcome back to Brave New Teaching Friends. We have another Shakespeare episode, but before you go, oh my gosh, it's another Shakespeare episode. Just wait, just wait. It is another Shakespeare episode that will i one hundred percent something you could do tomorrow if you're in a Shakespeare unit. Or if you are going to start something with Shakespeare, or if you want to try with a new strategy, teaching some sort of literary analysis techniques, we have things for you to make them engaging, rigorous, and like fun, which is also engaging, but also fun, right? Amanda's nodding along, but I should say hi, Amanda.
0: Well, hello. And yes, that's exactly what we're trying to do here is bring the hard work, but also bring the fun part and the bumpers to help make that hard work, something that kids can actually do and something that you can navigate as well. Because sometimes we think about doing hard things and it makes our teacher brains hurt. We don't want your brain to hurt, only if it's a good way.
1: Well, and one of the, I mean, because Shakespeare is something that we talk about often, especially when we're getting ready to like, launch a festival which we are right now in real time in just a couple of weeks we have our second festival for Shakespeare teachers everywhere it will become available very very soon and so it's something we're talking about a lot and a lot of the feedback that we get back is like yeah, Shakespeare's just too much. Like, it's just too much. And when I think about doing it, it's just too hard. And then I don't want to. And so we totally get that. Like, we've been there. And that's why we get so excited about the things that we're excited about, specifically talking about Shakespeare's plays and sonnets. Like, we have found ways to make it fun and to use Shakespeare, like when we're not even teaching a whole play, like doing something completely different, but you can bring in works because it helps illuminate different types of analysis and strategies. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah.
0: And to be honest, if you don't teach Shakespeare, insert challenging text here. It doesn't have to be Shakespeare, right? These are so much of what Marie and I do is strategy based and not content based, as you know, right? So we're not going to be walking through today a lesson idea that's specific to one act, one scene, one play. Like, you know that that's not what's coming. What we're bringing you today is going to be the ways in which we tackle multiple interpretations of the bard, his plays, individual scenes. And you all know if you're teaching any type of novel or any type of text that's been adapted multiple times, there's no reason that this episode couldn't also be applied to other things. Like, like Marie said, we're really excited about this Shakespeare festival. We hope that you'll be joining us, but at the same time, if you're not in Shakespeare, Listen in and see if some of these tips are helpful for you in examining multiple
1: interpretations of a work. So, yeah, like Amanda said, this can be applied to virtually any text that's got multiple interpretations or could have multiple interpretations. What we're talking about lends itself really nicely to Shakespeare because Shakespeare is classical. It has been adapted so many times in so many ways and in so many languages that there's almost too much out there so that's what we're going to be talking about today we've got a couple of full plays that we could show a couple of uh, multiple interpretations that's what I'm trying to say and then we've got like a good smattering of scenes and we'll just explain how we use them or how we would and could use those multiple interpretations since I am rambling I think it's time to cue the music let's do it
0: You're listening to Brave New Teaching, and we are so much more than a podcast. We
1: give teachers the inspiration, support, and tools to challenge the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a former English teacher from Illinois. And I'm Marie, and I'm a teacher from Southern California.
0: Join us at bravenewteaching.com to find out more about our courses, festivals,
1: and get every episode's show notes. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. that a little bit rambling before the intro music just now. We've got a couple of full plays that we want to talk about, so let's start there. There are a lot of films, and I mean, if you've heard us talk about Shakespeare at all, we've got many, many episodes. I think it was episode 45 from an earlier season of the podcast. We talk through why even teach Shakespeare, like what, what we're talking about, and one of the biggest things biggest tenets of our entire Shakespeare strategy for the two of us and for brave new teaching together is that Shakespeare should be seen. It should be seen either before it is read or as it is read. Generally we're going to show it before, but it's a play. It should be up and on its feet. And so being able to take advantage of technology and film and like really high quality or even low quality adaptations so that it gives students something to talk about. We see all of that as a win And I just want to debunk anybody going, well, but showing a movie feels lazy. Not if it's done really well. It's not lazy at all. Amanda, it looks like she's ready to jump in.
0: Um, So for this question that's come up a couple of times too, you know, for this specific episode, if you are in a state or a curriculum that is utilizing Common Core, analyzing multiple interpretations is one of those kind of... Standards that's really hard to hit in a lot of places other than Shakespeare. I mean, Shakespeare really gives us a great chance to hit that standard if that's something that matters to you. For those of you who are, you know, paying attention and want to know, it's the reading literature standard for 1112, and it's number seven analyze multiple interpretations of a story, drama, or poem, evaluating how each version interprets the source text and it does say to include one play at least by Shakespeare and one by an American uh, dramatist. but standards aside, right standards are you know some of us are functioning perfectly fine without Common Core telling us what to do. Hmm. Um, but this really is I think what Marie and I have at the heart of this episode is the practice of analysis can get very routine the way that, you know, students are asked to read something and analyze it, read something and analyze it. This is a crazy fun layer to add to that skill building of analysis is to visually, right? A play calls for this, to visually look at multiple interpretations. And it's just a great way to shift the way that you've been teaching analysis all year long, because you've probably been in novels, you've probably been in um, nonfiction, and now we're in this play. So let's bring this visual interpretation to light because these skills transfer back, of course, onto the page. um, And we can kind of move kids back and forth. And that's this is a really powerful opportunity to take advantage of.
1: Absolutely. Let's talk about how you teach Othello and what film version you use for the full entire story of Othello.
0: Yeah, so with Othello, I can give a brief also reminder to those of you who are joining us. Um, when I taught Othello, <laughs> this was not to AP students. Okay, like I know I talk about AP, you know, here and there. It was kind of later in my career, though, that I started doing AP. When I taught Othello, I was teaching newly exited ESL students. And so my students, this was their first experience in an English class and definitely their first experience with Shakespeare. And so knowing the power of film, we watched O, which if you're a millennial like Marie and I, (laughs) you probably at one point in your life had a small little crush on Josh Hartnett and or Mackay Pfeiffer. Both at the same time. Definitely both. And they're both in the same movie, which is, you know, a side sidebar, best part of teaching this unit. Um, But O, if you're not familiar with the movie, it's just the letter O, is a modern, of course it was like the 90s, so it doesn't even feel modern anymore, Um, but it's a modern interpretation of the play wherein the characters are actually at this exclusive private school. Um, It's a basketball team where all the kind of vendettas are formed and all the rivalries. Julia Stiles plays Desdemona. So it's a really great student engaging piece, it's definitely something that I will share with you a parent permission slip for. Oh, um, absolutely. Yes. There, uh, you know, there are not, there's no sword play here. There are guns and violence. And I mean, of course this is what well, it's kids having are. sex. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's... Yes. yes. So for sure it would require you to preview it and then share the, uh, you know, permission slip with parents. But what's great about showing the whole film first, that's what we did is that students were, Number one, they were engaged, right? This this was a movie made for teenagers, so they're going to love it. And then second and more academically important, the plot structure of Othello is followed to a T. I mean, this is very, very accurately- Othello, but just brought into modern language and modern actors. And so my students walked into Othello, the play, having a really firm grasp of those plot things and character things, so that when we started looking at Shakespeare, we weren't starting at zero. And that is just one way. We weren't even really evaluating the differences or doing analysis. We used it as laying the groundwork for a challenging piece of reading. So that's one way that you might think about doing a whole play interpretation side by side would just be that, you know, the very basic skills of getting kids oriented and excited about what's to come.
1: Well, and it's, it's not, uh, yeah, like you're saying, it's not necessarily going back and forth between version to version, although you completely could. And actually, when I taught this exact same version with Othello. I want to say it was like my first year teaching. It was a minute ago. Um, We did go back and forth and back and forth. I had seniors. I think we went act for act and we kind of like matched them up. And I had them doing, it was on the semester system. So we had a lot more time doing their own interpretations of key scenes and that sort of a thing. One thing I do want to make clear, because I'm going to talk through how to use 10 things I hate about you with Midsummer, is that... When we're talking about using a whole film or a movie, okay, whatever you want to call it, fine. (laughs) Uh, We're talking about using that as a tool, not just a reward at the end. We do not, no shade, no shade to those of us who need to like grade for two days and therefore put on a film or something at the end of a unit, like so that we can get through our grading and that students can do something else that is enriching. Absolutely fantastic. What we're talking about, though, is a teaching strategy that uses film Entire adaptations, or in a minute, we'll talk about scenes as a tool rather than as a reward. You could totally do both, but that's like our focus here. And again, nothing wrong with showing something or doing something else that's like fun and different towards the end. We're talking about in the meet or like at the beginning. Amanda's talking about creating an access point and giving students access to a really challenging text, period.
0: And, and to, to piggyback on that, I'm remembering now like, as you're talking, one of the other strategies of using it was I was teaching students. How to watch the play, like how right. this was this unit was going to go, how we were going to watch film together, discuss it and take notes on it. So I actually used I, I showed it in an Instagram uh, reel a little while ago. Um, when we do the, when we do plays, I have kids, they use a, a tracking like a note sheet, and it goes act by act. And then they look at character development, and then a, a handful of other things. I made one sheet and I did it the exact same way for O that we were going to do it for Othello. And so the students got used to kind of just like the new classroom routine. It was, it's different from when we're in a novel to be in a film. So I kind of had to use that also to teach them how class was going to run. It was a classroom management piece. It was an access point and it was really just designed to set them up to be successful when the hard thing got in front of them.
1: Hello, friends. Please excuse the interruption of this episode. We wanted to let you know about something very, very exciting coming to you from Brave New Teaching.
0: This is fireworks and confetti. Do you hear it? We are so freaking pumped to bring you the Shakespeare Teacher Festival again. Round two, we are bringing to you an entirely new modern take on Shakespeare in the classroom. So if you joined us last year, that's awesome. But this year...
1: Everything is brand new. Absolutely. Last year was basics with the bard and this year's Shakespeare teacher festival is Shakespeare in the modern classroom with your modern students and exactly how to frame that, what we do. We're going to dive into some specific plays, a little bit deeper of a look at some of the most commonly taught plays. Ahem, Romeo and Juliet, let's frame that differently. And we can't wait to get started. So make sure that you head to the show notes or just go to brave new to get yourself registered. Make sure you bring in a couple of friends with you. It's going to be a good time. All right, let's get back into the show. Okay, Midsummer. That's what I was gonna talk about. You just got I just got distracted and how cool that sounds and how much I want to teach a fellow again, but I need to stay on track. That's so good. I know. Midsummer is actually one of the plays that I'm gonna talk about in its entirety in the festival that we have that is upcoming that I talked about in our intro. And A Midsummer Night's Dream. Speaking of Julia Stiles, <laughs> the modern or a modern uh remake of A Midsummer Night's Dream. No nope. Don't you mean Shrew, Marie? Yeah. I wrote down the – I'm, like, saying it. (laughs) I'm, like, double checking my brain. I'm, like, I've never taught true. She's shaking her head, and I'm, like, oh, something happening behind Amanda. And I'm looking at my notes going, no, that's not right. Okay, so listen. Ten things in shrew are – Ten things I hate about you. Well, but I'm also – no, I'm not – oh, Marie. I'm trying to say taming of the shrew. Still ten (laughs) things I hate about you. Still, Julia Stiles. (laughs) But you got your Shakespeare mixed up. But I got my, well, I wrote it wrong. When I just, now I'm gonna, okay. So (laughs) let's start that over, shall we, listeners? When I teach The Taming of the Shrew by William Shakespeare, it pairs very nicely with 10 Things I Hate About You, which just so happens to also have one of the loves of my life, Heath Ledger, in it. So (sighs) it's a very Julia Stiles, early 2000s, late 90s. Heavy episode here today. Okay, that's where we're at. So, ten things I hate about you is a nice. I, I've used it in its entirety and gone just like act for act, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and gone. Watch a little Shrew talk about it. See how it comes up in the modern adaptation. Watch a little sh- like so. Act one close read uh, ten things. Act two close read ten things. That pattern for taming of the Shrew. I almost did it again. Is pretty great like it works really nicely it's a comedy so it does it's like pretty clean cut like the whole story arc just kind of goes boop 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 up 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 and then down (laughs) like that's and then it foils and everything's over and people get married or do they and students are able to see where the thing with like comedy with Shakespeare is that students often go I don't get why is this funny why is this funny was this funny then is this funny like Mrs. Morris was this funny when you were young 8 million years ago? And I'm like, first of all, you're rude. Secondly, it is funny if you peel back the layers and you suspend a little bit of your disbelief that like, this isn't going to be funny. There's sarcasm in there. There's a lot of word play in there. Um, and so being able to let students then see how that plays out in a more contemporary context is, is good. And, th- and then they get to start playing around with the language and making their own puns and making their own jokes and, and being really crass and gross like Petruchio is. So... Since I've butchered this so far, let's move on to some of our scenes, shall we?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, you have not butchered it, and I and I think that this is. Just- it's like you said earlier, a couple of things, right? The the goal of using multiple interpretations is a strategic decision on your part, yes. right? Whether whether you're using that as kind of like Marie is describing as a mirror, right? You're kind of mirroring these them, you know, act by act, scene by scene, close read by close read, whatever you're doing. Uh, that's an intentional strategy and that you're going to carry it all the way through because that's a focal point for you. This might not be a unit long focal point for you in terms of analysis, because my example was more kind of setting the foundation comprehension wise. But when we're talking about what Marie's version is a more elevated version of using multiple interpretations across the whole play, what we want to share with you also is that you don't have to do the entire adaptation for the entire play. You can also do this in a scene by scene basis and just where, or just where that particular scene would be useful to you in terms of the skills that you're focusing on. So I can start really quick with that. And that would be, there's a couple of them, Um, But I'd say for me, you know, one of the scenes that I really like to focus in on tone and Macbeth is the dagger scene. And I actually created this so I have the students can watch, you know, is this a dagger, which I see before me, they can watch, oh my gosh, go to YouTube and look for that moment. You just type in act two, scene one, Macbeth, and you'll find so many different performances of it. You have, of course, the, you know, we can talk about Macbeth Macbeth later. Um, But there are lots of ways that this has been performed. And so what that does is give students an access point for talking about tone. How does Macbeth address the dagger in different ways? So like that's really when we go scene by scene, we can also narrow down a skill focus. And that's one of the reasons I like using scenes. Do you have another favorite one, Marie?
1: Well, yeah, I have actually two more from Macbeth before right. we move on. The first one that I use is, is in my intro, and I've talked about this before. I talked about this in our episode where I talked through my Hamlet and Macbeth our Monsters Born or made unit which I'm like knee deep in right now and they're eating it up and I love it. Uh, but the very opening, the um, the witches, when shall we three meet again upon the Heath blubbity blue is there's a YouTube video that I can't, it's like all one it's five different versions. It's a whole comp- compilation video. That's five different versions. And it's so good for tone and mood. And you just take the whole entire close read and you go through the whole, like you can, kids, you know, we read through it. We watch all five episodes taking notes on the different ones. And with the close read in front of them, or you know what I mean, the text Mm -hmm. for the whole entire scene that they are going to eventually be in close reading, they take notes on all five different versions on what they see, on the tone and on the mood that they get from them. And I kind of like pause in between as this YouTube video plays. And then at the end, they've got, a great way to evaluate tone and mood based on all of the different words and and, and they're five very different versions. And then the banquet scene is actually my actual favorite. Like ever. It's just so good. Again, I fly to YouTube for gosh, do I use four different versions? I think I use four or five different versions. You just banquet scene Macbeth and they're like anywhere from like a minute and a half to three minutes like it's not for such a famous scene it's extremely short and you can find like the Sir Patrick Stewart one the Denzel Washington version the I can't remember the other ones but they're all very very different there are film interpretations there are stage to film like you know filmed of the stage Royal Shakespeare Company interpretations and it allows students to really like I when we did it just this past week we got into character analysis and mm-hmm. like how the character was being played and what was driving the character so that's a great way to get back to something that students don't really directly do at least in my class I kind of like we, we like tack on character analysis as like a given you know but it's like a really good just dig into that yeah there's a bunch of them in Macbeth same thing with Hamlet and I talked about this last week actually when we were recording the rhetoric that episode, um, Shakespeare and rhetoric, Hamlet's soliloquy, or the to be or not to be is such an amazing psychological lens analysis piece, especially when you look at multiple versions of that monologue or that soliloquy, you, um, the, which one did the kids absolutely go nuts for what's the, um, Dr. Strange. What's his name? Um, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. I can't say his long name right now, but you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. Okay, so, like, that one with Kenneth Bronig paired up with Keanu Reeves in a blockbuster video. Oh, my God. Keanu then, Reeves. We're not going to talk about Keanu today. And the Keanu – no, not Keanu Reeves. I am just a mess. Ethan Hawke.
0: Okay, I was going to say. I, no, I've never seen it, so. Yeah,
1: you're like, no, that's that one doesn't exist. Sorry, listeners. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, Ethan Hawke in a blockbuster video with, like – Action movies playing in the background, and he like spikes the okay. camera, and sometimes it's voiceover, and sometimes he's talking out loud, and it's really it's a spectacle to behold. Is really what it is, and so letting students see those interpre- interpretations right up next to each other, and they take notes, and it's it's very 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 useful as a tool for analysis. Well, so
0: let's talk through that. You know, we've we've got a few more examples. Maybe we'll use our final examples. Maybe we'll use the balcony scene for this, this Uh part here, and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap things up. I think, our listeners, you know, when I talk to people, a lot of them are saying, okay, I hear you, but how, like, right. what does that actual lesson plan look like start to finish? So, you know, for me, you know, if we talk about the balcony scene, right, if right. you want to look at multiple interpretations, right, anybody can go to YouTube and find them. So once you've found them, for me, I would treat an interpretation lesson very similarly to how I teach a close reading lesson, because yeah. Hint, hint, this is a close reading lesson. This is what it is. Well, and
1: before Amanda dives into this, FYI, for those of you who have the 2021 Shakespeare Teacher Festival, this Romeo and Juliet balcony scene is one of the bonus materials. Like a Romeo and Juliet compare and contrast versions is one of the bonus materials in that festival. Okay, go, friend.
0: Yeah, no, that's not... So I was just going to say, like, when you're planning your lesson, you know, when I plan a close read, I first have to narrow down the text, right? So the balcony scene is actually a little bit tricky because mm-hmm. it's very long. There's a lot of text in this scene. And so for me, you know, I, with my kind of task for myself is always, okay, well, which part matters, which piece of this scene is going to be the most useful for students to use when they're talking about the essential question or the themes that we are really focusing on in the unit. So the first step is really narrowing down the scene because I don't necessarily want them to have the whole thing always. Um, And I'm working usually with 50 minute class periods. So for a 50 minute class period, you can't watch three versions of a 10 minute scene and actually have any time to do any cognitive work. Um, So For me, it's really like, first, narrow it down. Second is decide on what is that skill or literary craft piece that you want, like the the thread. What are they going to look at across all three, across two? Um, Is it going to be characterization? Is it tone and mood? Is it a lens analysis, like Marie said, that you're doing? You know, really narrowing that part down. As fun as it sounds to like, go find a bunch of versions and watch them. That's a pretty useless Uh, lesson unless you've kind of done that other work first. So narrow it down, choose your skill. And then I would either read first, maybe do like together, we're going to look at the original, we're going to look at where the text started. And then, you know, kind of take notes on those skills, right? Here's where I noticed this, here's where I noticed this, like have a first draft analysis, or I'm sorry, annotation done. And then I would launch into the other versions and start kind of adding to um, that same document with different notes and things like that, focusing on the skill. So for me, that's like in broad strokes, what that lesson looks like. And then, of course, it ends like I have to end that same day, not wait till the next day because everything gets erased in a child's brain overnight before kids leave or exit ticket they have to commit to paper some kind of analysis, right? Some kind of written product yes. um, based on what they've seen that day. So again, broad strokes, but Marie, I know you have some more specifics to this exact scene, so I'll let you take it from here.
1: Well, and, and again, this is a great character analysis piece, and it's a great uh, relationship analysis, like moment to look at between two Characters and their decision making and depending on what themes you're looking at depending on like essential questions and all of that. Romeo and Juliet is most often taught in ninth grade, maybe eighth grade. So we're talking about pretty novice skill sets when we're looking at like really deep analysis. So character is a great place to be psychological, maybe, but just like decision making and that sort of thing. Looking at different versions of the balcony scene brings students into just even comprehending what's going on in this moment and being able to make connections to themselves and to the world around them and to other texts. So like Amanda said, yes, it's narrow it down because something like the banquet scene from Macbeth, don't need to narrow it down. It's right there for you. It's very, very short. You maybe would take off pieces, but like, it's pretty little. The balcony scene for Romeo and Juliet is going to be a lot longer. So like truncated is spread out. It is very spread out. And it's very, I mean, it's very flowery. It's Shakespeare. It's poetry, but it's also like, we got it. She's the sun. Like <laughs> <laughs> you kissed. Let's move on. But like, I mean, and I say this was all the love in my heart for Romeo and Juliet. Read it first. And I would even say, read it without marking anything, but just read it so that you get a preview of what you're going to be seeing, right? And then like students for me and for the, the version that's in the 2021 Shakespeare Teacher Festival, They've got the text in front of them, and every time they watch it, they're annotating on top of the same text. So like maybe they're doing different colors for each version, or maybe they're just adding more understanding. That's generally, if I'm teaching ninth grade, they're just adding more understanding of what's going on because of what they see on the screen in front of them. So they're just the same thing over and over and over again. Like, what are they saying? Why are they saying it? And what do they want? Like, those are three great character-driven analysis questions that students can watch the scene once. Okay, jot down what you understood this time. Watch it again. Oh, did you get something here? Did you get this pun? Did you get this little piece and this little metaphor? And then watch it again, right, however many times it takes. And like Amanda said, timing is something to pay attention to if you're putting together a lesson like this or an activity like this. And then also like maybe send them home with a write up or an exit ticket is going to be their little like short answer, something like that. Like, what did you see here today? What do you newly understand or something that's a little deeper and more analytical, depending on what their notes were.
0: And when we move into maybe more like the 11th, 12th grade versions of this, that's when I think the questions move from, what did you see? What's going on? Did you interpret, you know, did you get this pun this time? They move into why did the director make this decision here and not this decision? Why is this setting or is this casting particularly interesting compared to this other one? That's when those questions, not that you can't ask them in ninth grade. We're just saying, know
1: your purpose.
0: What is the purpose you can of using? A, this stuff?
1: Sorry, I'm just talking. That's right okay. You can remove a lot of your scaffolds as you get. I mean, as we all know, right? It's all good teaching and good practice, but it always bears repeating. Like even veterans like ourselves, it bears repeating the reasons why we do certain things certain ways at different levels, and why we listen to what our students have and what they can do, and then we go from there. It's because if you have all the scaffolding in place, the easiest thing to do is just to take it off, <laughs> like make it harder. That's that's it.
0: And and that's I think we we really kind of when we're on this podcast and even in social media, I think that it can feel really overwhelming when you hear new ideas because you you feel compelled to you. I always felt compelled to try all the things and do all the things, but when I taught myself and I learned that when I knew what I wanted and I knew what the goals for the unit were, what my essential question was, what my focal points were, it was easier for me to decide this is a cool idea for later or this is something that I want to use now because I knew what would serve my purpose because you do need to do that. This is a, you, you are in the age of information overload teachers and we're much. not trying to add to that, not at all. What we're trying to do is help you when you are finding that you're in a position where you're looking to either address that standard or you're looking to aid comprehension or you're looking to deepen analysis. There are two different paths. There are more than two paths. There are so many different paths that this strategy, I guess we could call it um, can take you. So take whatever direction from this episode is helpful to the study of your play or the study of your novel. If you know, a lot of classic novels also have a variety of interpretations, like we said at the beginning of the episode. So take it, run with it, and please report back.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Amanda and I look at a lot of things like Shakespeare with a problem-solution format, right? Problem, kids can't understand it. It's very, very hard to get into. Okay, solution, let's let them see it (laughs) in a few different ways, and then they'll understand it. Okay, another problem, students might understand it, but they do not give a crap. Well, then let's make it a little bit more contemporary and engaging and relevant with Like last week's episode, we were talking about rhetoric. Here, we're talking about seeing it in contemporary context. We've got a bunch of different ideas. So that problem-solution format really does help with our brains, and we have a feeling that if you are a listener of the two of us, you probably have a similar sensibility. Um, So, yeah, like Amanda said, we're not saying take our word as gospel. However, take what works. Take what works and run with it and let us know what works and let us know how you made it your own because we love it.
0: Well, and so today what we've given you is, right, access points for the whole play and the whole film adaptation in this case we've looked at scene by scene um, different ways to do that and then within all of that right we've given you skills to focus on directions to take and ability levels at which at which it could be used so this was a lot yes. we have a lot more to share in the Shakespeare teacher Festival we would encourage you if you enjoy the podcast we would a love for you to attend the festival because it's really going to add so much value to your experience as an English teacher. Again, if you are in a play, cool. If you have Shakespeare in your year, cool. But if you don't, I promise you, just like our Dystopia Festival, you're going to walk away from the festival with more strategies than you walk away with Shakespeare. Um, We want to narrow our focus for teaching purposes, um, but for you as a teacher and an experienced educator, you will definitely walk away
1: from this festival with way more than just teaching Shakespeare. Absolutely. We try to go strategy first and then resource and stuff is kind of the bonus. And like, it's the stuff that makes it all make sense. So like Amanda said, this was a lot. So, you know, hopefully you've paused and taken down notes and you can rewind as many times as you want or need to. And again, sorry about that whole midsummer taming mix up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, just, I, I really can't explain that other than. <laughs> it's been a long year. It's February. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. All right, friends. <laughs> We would love to connect with you on Instagram or even over email. Let us know how things are going with you. We don't always get to email back immediately because, you know, full-time teaching keeps me pretty busy. But we do see all of it and we get back as soon as we can. So make sure that you are staying in contact with us and share this episode with somebody that you think might benefit from us. And uh, we hope to see you in the festival. Thank you so much for listening, friends. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye thanks again for listening to Brave New Teaching. We'd love to keep the conversation going over on Instagram. And while you're there, check out the links in our bio for the most up-to-date events going on in the Brave New Teaching community. Thanks for being here and have a great week at school.